You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. 1 Peter 4 tells us that there are Christians all over the world who share in common experiences. In that letter, Peter is specifically talking about suffering, suffering of all kinds. And right now, in the face of those sufferings and struggles, like Peter to those churches that he was writing, I need to say to you, Anchored Baptist Church, watch your step. Keep a clear head. Be watchful. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for who he's going to eat next. Resist him. Being firmly planted in the faith. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering the same way as you are all over the world. Most Christians in most countries are experiencing fallout because of COVID. In some way or another, we are all experiencing the consequences of the sickness. I do not want to make small the circumstances of those Christians who are suffering severe persecution by comparing our light and momentary struggles to that experience. However, we know that God is working all of this to the same end, our salvation. You also need to know right now that your suffering and your struggle is real. And it is a shared experience that all Christians can relate to. All over the world, Christians are either separated in church due to social distancing and masks, or separated because churches are not meeting. We should be praying for our brothers and sisters all over the world, and we should be praying for our closest neighbors. We should also be praying for ourselves. Paul told Timothy and us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. You and I, are now in the place where some Christians start to step off course. They choose to no longer associate with the local church. They decide that they are simply Christians, which puts them outside of and above a physical place like church. It becomes a spiritual journey that they are taking on their own or as a family. They may share it with you from time to time, Or, the church, the people of God, in the place where God has gathered them, becomes something that they dip into when they feel like they need a little pick-me-up. And then they step back out when life gets hectic. All over the world, right now, people who usually go to church are making decisions like this. And those decisions will determine where that lion, Satan, will find them. Will they, will you, be found roaming free and wild out on the felt, on their own, looking for some kind of sign or experience? 
waiting for that next inspiration to get passionate about their individual faith again. Out there on your own, you are the first animal to get picked off and chewed up by that lion, that snake, that dragon, Satan. Or, will people, will you and I, have held fast to the faith through this trial? And don't be mistaken, our faith is a person, Jesus. That's right, I said is a person, not is in a person. Will you be found holding fast to Jesus where Satan cannot truly harm you? We could say in the herd. (laughs) You've seen the nature shows, or you've gone to a park, or you have lived close enough to actually see it. A predator likes to shake someone out of the herd instead of just jumping in there and grabbing what he can. This is why Jesus has not left you alone. He has given you a people to be a part of. In fact, he has given you faithful churches all over the world so that no matter where you go, this dysfunctional but redeemed group of people will be waiting for you. Seeking to keep you safe instead of feeding off of you. Seeking to keep you strong in the faith instead of weakened and on your own. Uh, Prepared food for our enemy who's just seeking someone to devour. If you are a Christian, you are in the church. And Jesus has called you to be a part of the local church. He has called you to be a part of his people. He has called you to a place, Anchored Baptist Church in this case, and he has placed you under his authority so that you might experience the fullness of his blessings. Do not neglect it, as the writer of Hebrews encourages us. Do not neglect it or or push it aside or count the church as anything but a gift of great significance, of great importance. This is not easy right now, though. We all know it. Most of us are at least trying to act like it's not a real issue, but it is. Christian, hold fast. That's where our sermon is taking us today. Hold fast. In Christ, there is contentment. Outside of Him, there isn't. There's only death. But... Over our next two weeks of 1 Timothy, our last two weeks of 1 Timothy, we're going to be looking at chapter 6, and we're going to be working through a large portion of that text right now, and we're going to hear where Jesus is in it. So, 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 2, teach and urge these things. Now, this is a holdover from the last several weeks. Paul tells us that All of this stuff about widows, pastors, the poor, so on and so forth, the church has to teach this. The elder who is leading the church and preaching the good news has to teach this. Even if the family of God is all dysfunctional, it is also a redeemed people that God has set aside for himself and has forgiven their sins in Christ. And these are the household rules that need to be taught. But what if they don't get taught, we ask? 
What if the elder refuses to teach these things? What if the teachers in the church do not teach anything that Paul has put forward in this letter? If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 3 to 5. Or... I like the way that one pastor represented this passage. If you have leaders there who teach otherwise, who refuse the solid words of our Master and Savior Jesus and this godly instruction, call them what they are. Ignorant windbags who infect the air with germs of envy, controversy, bad-mouthing, and suspicious rumors. Eventually, there's an epidemic of backstabbing, and truth is a distant memory. They think religion is a way to make a fast buck. <laughs> Paul tells Timothy and us to call a thing what it is. And if someone is using the church instead of loving and caring for it like Christ, call them what they are. False teachers. Now, Paul has had a lot to say about false teachers in this letter. So let's take a minute and remember uh, some of what has been said. These teachers that Timothy has been called to confront are confusing this young church. They are speaking from ignorance about useless things. They are corrupting the hearts, heads, and hands of this young church. Whether they meant to in the beginning or not, they are also actually separating these Christians from Christ. They are pushing them to rest in and rely upon other things and ideas. Or better said, these false teachers are calling the church to work for and have no assurance about their salvation. Timothy and Paul also know that these false teachers, by their own decision or out of lack of knowledge, are being influenced by the work of Satan and his demons. In this letter, Paul has used many words to give us a picture of what a false teacher looks like. He has given Timothy the tools to get rid of them, and he has taught us what a good teacher should look like as a replacement. What we read in chapter 6 verses 3 to 5 are fruit of these false teachings in the teacher's life and in the life of the congregation. Now, I assume that you are listening closely at this point. If you are, take a minute. Pause me. Read for yourself 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 2 to 16. I'm going to use some different translations that do a really good job with this text but read the one that you are used to. At least read from verses 6 to 10. Right now. Go ahead. Did you leave yet? <laughs> Go, but come back. I'll wait. 
A devout life does bring wealth, but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. Since we have entered the world with nothing and we leave it empty-handed, if we have bread on the table and shoes on our feet, that is enough. But if it's only money that these leaders are after, they will self-destruct in no time. Lust for money brings trouble and nothing but trouble. Going down that path, some lose their footing in the faith completely and live to regret it bitterly ever after. We know this. Even more, we have probably all seen the churches and leaders that hold up money as their God and call it Jesus. Or they call it blessing. They call it miracles. They call it new. They call it comfort. Don't begin to think that I'm only talking about one or two communities or culture groups. Every culture group in the whole world has their own expression of this. Then what happens to these leaders when they're found out? Well, usually they move to a different place and do the exact same thing. But what happens to the group of people that have been following them and paying for their lifestyle? They either hope for better luck with the next demonic preacher, or they walk away from the church and say they gave it a chance, but it didn't work for them. Or they think that it's all a scam. My good friend Jacques, the tattoo artist here in town, my neighbor at the office space, died about two weeks ago. He died outside of Christ. He died and is now eternally separated from experiencing the good gifts of God. He is in hell. As eternally alone as he was the night that he died of a heart attack in his sleep. I miss Jacques. I miss him a lot. And in speaking with our mutual friends, one thing that keeps coming up is an admiration for him because he lived his own life on his own terms. Christian, that's what we call sin. And sin leads to death. Genesis even tells us that death came because of sin. Paul tells us that the price that needs to be paid because of sin is death. Which leads us kind of to our big idea for today. Self-worship leads to death while Jesus brings contentment. The number of times that I was able to share the good news with Jacques, there was little question about the wrongs that had been done to him in the past. There was no question that false teachers who claimed to be in the church and a part of Christ taught Jacques damaging and damning things that proved that money was the only real God of this world. And that kind of teaching that, if we're honest, we all flirt with from time to time in our own cultural translation of it, those teachings have serious and real consequences for this life and the next, this life and forever. My friend lived long enough to see the false teachers in their nonsense, and he lived long enough to see the fruit of their evil labor. 
he did not live long enough to see and believe that there was anything beyond that in Christianity. He never really knew what the faith was about. But you, man of God. Now, okay, you listening, you might be a woman, and you might be very confused. Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's building him up right now. Though he has spoken to him as a child and as a student, as an apprentice of sorts, he wants Timothy to know that he cares for him and that they are friends and that Timothy is in fact a man who can take ownership of this situation. And Paul is letting him know that he has the ability to handle this difficult and complex thing that he's been dropped in the middle of. So let's also direct these verses to you. But you, men and women of God, flee from these things. That is, the false teachings and the poisonous fruit that they produce. Flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Seize the eternal life that you were called to and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Notice what Paul does here. He gives a different list. Before, he gave a list of poisonous fruit that grows out of the words and actions of these false teachers, these teachers of death. Now, he gives a list of good fruit. Now, sure, these are virtues or good habits that we can and should practice. But these are things that God, the Holy Spirit, builds up and grows in every Christian when we are called to salvation through the word about Christ, his person and work for us. Timothy knows this calling well. He confessed it in front of the local church that he was raised in, and now Paul is letting him know that the fruit from those seeds are going to grow in this young church as well. Seize the eternal life that you were called to and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God, who gives life to all, and of Jesus Christ, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command. That command is to run from evil. Without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 to 12. The speaking of this truth that you are a sinner and that Jesus saved you from the hellish grip of Satan's sin and death, that his righteousness alone is your only hope in this life and the next, that your sins have been forgiven on account of Christ, this is a good confession. This was Timothy's confession. I pray that this is your confession. And if it is, 
It is a good one. Hold on to it as Jesus himself did in front of the one who would give the final word to have him killed. After we have made that confession, Paul tells Timothy, he tells you, he tells me to grab a hold of the life gifted to us. Don't forget about it. Keep on running from evil, he says. Fight a good fight. Do not get lazy in the faith and start producing bad fruit because you are constantly quieting the Holy Spirit. And keep on fighting and pushing forward until you lie in bed and die or Jesus himself returns to bring all of his people along with them. Keep on keeping on, as it were, knowing that you do not know when it all ends. Our triune God has his own time scheme. He is utterly in control. He is the king above every king, the Lord above every so-called Lord. The only one whom death has no authority over. He cannot be understood by sight and no one has ever seen him. To him be honor and all glory forever because he has proven all of this to us through his son, Jesus. Amen. Self-worship, the oldest of false teachings, leads to death. But resting in and relying upon Jesus brings contentment because we know that we are kept safe and saved by the undisputed King, Lord, and Savior. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.